Hello and welcome to episode one of the Women Talk Work podcast. I'm Claire Conroy. I'm feeling a mixture of excitement, relief and a bit of vulnerability as I put these final edits on the first episode of the podcast. So thank you so, so much for downloading this first episode and giving it a go. I'm so grateful and excited to have you along for the ride. Women Talk Work is a new podcast that seeks to explore the diversity and complexity of Australian women's experience of work. I'll be interviewing a range of women in a variety of different jobs about what their job actually involves, as well as exploring their personal work journey and the challenges and highlights they've had along the way. You can also find out more about who I am and how this project originated at womentalkwork.com. There you'll also find a full list of all the episodes, link to the Facebook page, and some reflective blog posts that I'll be sharing as I move through this little podcasting experiment. I'd also like to acknowledge YWCA Canberra, who have supported Women Talk Work through their Great Ideas Small Grants program. For this first episode, I was delighted to talk to Fiona Keary. Fiona is a Canberra-based image consultant. Her business, Style Liberation, works with individuals and groups to help people to achieve a look that suits their position, personality and lifestyle. In this conversation, we talk about Fiona's process for working with individual clients, including her ruthless wardrobe makeovers. We also chat about Fiona's journey from corporate accountant to image consultant and small business owner, and how being a mum impacts on the choices she's made in her work. We also talk a little bit about Fiona's younger son, Max, who has cerebral palsy, and in particular how Max has and, and how he continues to influence Fiona's thinking about body image and overcoming fear and self-doubt. I first met Fiona when I engaged her to help me rethink my own personal style and wardrobe when I went through a transition from leaving the public service and into motherhood and independent consulting. I was struck by Fiona's positivity and enthusiasm for the work she does, and she's someone I found a natural rapport with, so she was an obvious choice to be my first guest for Women Talk Work. So Fiona, the first question I want to ask is when you meet someone for the first time and they ask you, what do you do for work? How do you answer? I say that I'm an image consultant and then I tell them that I'm not scary because I think there's probably this idea that image consultants or um, stylists are immediately looking you up and down and assessing what you're wearing or what you look like. And I can tell you it's not, it's not the case. So I generally tell people that um, I work with individuals and organisations on their personal presentation and basically I help people build that confidence in what they wear, uh, save them time and make them look great. Excellent. So why have you chosen the word image consultant over stylist? Is there a difference in your mind? I guess for me the idea of an image consultant is that it's not just about what you wear but it's also around how you present yourself, whether that's vocal image, um, your behaviours and in particular your etiquette and also on your body language as well. So uh, I also speak with organisations and businesses around that professional presentation. So I guess for me that's more than just styling a client, it's actually the whole package. Right. So what does a... um I guess I'm interested in exploring what your work actually involves because people probably have some kind of idea, um, perhaps a a wrong idea or a right idea. So could you either take me through an average day or or perhaps the process that you work with with a client? So obviously there's a lot of, with any sort of role, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, which is your day-to-day business, um, running a business. But I guess my client-facing work... um, is made up of a number of services. And the first of that is being um, a discovering your style or what I call colour and styling session. Mm -hmm. So generally I spend two and a half to three hours with um, an individual, either male or female, and we do a colour analysis, um, i.e. getting your colours done. What what Um, does that actually involve? So that actually involves me asking people strange questions. For example? <laughs> you know, what colour was your hair when you were, you know, two years old and things like that. Right. So people do look at me oddly and go, why do you need to know information like that? Right. Or, you know, what your skin type is like. Um, it also involves you sitting in front of a mirror and staring at yourself for a little while. Mm-hmm. 
but I try and distract people with that with some witty conversation and etc. so that people don't feel too uncomfortable. And then we use colour drapes um, to look at what colours or shades of colours work best for each person based on their skin, hair and eyes. So after that process, we sort of work out the best colour palette um, and at this stage in colour analysis, there's one of 12 that you can be. Right. And from there, I sort of talk through with the client how to use the colour swatch that they've been given, how to mix and match colours, how to use pattern, look at colour contrast and all those different things. And often if there's time, we also have a look in their wardrobe as well. So that's usually the colour mm-hmm. part of the session. And then the second part of the session is the body architecture part of the session. And I guess this is where people feel a little bit nervous and it's quite a personal thing to do. So um, I do try and spend a bit of time talking to the client before we actually have that first session because um, I think people are scared and it was interesting um, the last couple of events that I've presented at. They're like, no, I don't want to get naked in front of you. And it's like, no, no, no. You don't need to get naked in front of People have this idea that you're going to do like skin fold fold tests like in grade eight, you know, gym class. Or Or I'm going to be like Trini and Susanna and grab their bum or their boobs and I don't do that. (laughs) So so that process is actually looking at proportion and that's what's important to me. It's not about your size. It's not about, you know, uh, your nose or anything like that. It's about creating proportion. Mm-hmm. with um, your body and so we look at vertical proportions so you know whether you're a balanced body long-legged short-legged that type of thing we do look at horizontal body shapes as well um, we look at people's scale to work out the right sort of size of accessories and um, prints and patterns that someone should be wearing and we also look at face shape as well but I think the most important thing that we sort of explore during that session after that session and continuously really, is looking at someone's style personality too because I think if you get style personality wrong we you're not really sure where that is for you, it makes it really difficult to find the right look that you feel really great in but also feel comfortable and at ease in as well. So can you describe what, what is a style personality? Well, I guess it, it, it's your personality. It's your brand. Right. So. For example, we're usually two or three different style personalities, whether that be natural, classic, feminine, dramatic, sultry or creative or elegant, for example. Mm -hmm. And usually we're a combination of two to three of those and they will change over time depending on where we are in our life and what we're sort of doing. So I know very much before I went into image consulting and I was an accountant, my style was very much classic, that sort of suited and booted look um everything was quite tailored um whereas when I changed career and when I became a mother my style changed Mm -hmm. very much and it constantly evolves I feel like now that my children are about to start school I feel that my style is changing again I feel like oh I could possibly put on a high heel today that'll be <laughs> I don't have to get down low and go go go. You can wear white without, you know, Vegemite being smeared on top. We're not quite there yet. Oh right. <laughs> so the personality sounds like that that's really kind of where the the really kind of unique individual element comes in. It's not a matter of just a kind of a formula colors plus no. body shape equals this kind of no. Yeah. And it comes around through sort of discussion. I have a couple of quizzes and things and exercises that I give people to do. But usually having a look in someone's wardrobe, talking to them, um, really gives me that insight as, as to where I think they're going with their style. And it's fun. That's the fun part, really. Um, so, so what is good style and why is it important? Well, I really believe style is very individual. You don't want to be like everybody else. If you are like everybody else... No one remembers you for what you are and what you can offer. So I always say that it's very individual. You do not need to be like everybody else. And I think good style is knowing how to put things together that are you, that fit really well, that express your personality, um, and then that naturally lets everything else about you shine through. Okay. Um 
sorry, so I think we should probably jump back to your to the process. So after you've kind of been through someone's wardrobe and you've got a sense of their kind of body architecture and um, colours and personality, what do you do with them next? Well, some people are really fine after that. They don't need any more help from me right. and they're ready to go on their way. Um, but other people want me to come in and help them redo their wardrobe. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a process of going through and looking at what they already have. And a lot of people, when they get to this stage, think that they need a lot of new clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people do, but the majority of people actually have everything they need already in their wardrobe. It's just that there's a few key pieces missing. So that's what my job is part of that wardrobe rescue. So it's about removing everything that, you know, no longer serves that person. So whether it's because you know, they haven't worn it in three years or it doesn't fit them anymore and there's, you know, we can't alter it to make it work or if it's completely the wrong sort of body shape or shape of garment for their body or the wrong colour, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am a little bit ruthless. And how do you find people respond to that? <laughs> well, they know that up front. Right. Um, I am also open to discussion about particular items. Okay. So if someone really wants to hold on to something, um, we do have a maybe pile that that can go into where I get someone to put it in a bag, we put it in their garage, and if they haven't looked at it in 6 to 12 months and we can negotiate the terms, they are just to take it away. But everything else I generally take away. But I do allow people to keep archive pieces. So they are usually really sentimental pieces. Mm-hmm that holds special meaning for them, but I get them to take the, take it out of their wardrobe because you want your wardrobe to be something that you go to every day, that it's easy for you to see what you have and you can see how everything sort of mixes and matches. So That's, do you have some kind of formula or kind of ideal number of pieces um, that should be in a wardrobe? I don't and it really will vary depending on someone's style personality. For example, a classic or an elegant and a natural could get away with a lot less pieces in their wardrobe. Whereas creatives, for example, they could probably get away with the same amount of pieces, but they often feel like they need a lot more accessories and they do not want to look the same every day. Right. So it really will depend on the person. Um, but I, I'm a great believer less is more because, you know, the general consensus is that we actually wear 20% of our wardrobe 80% of the time. So what's the rest of it doing? It's just clutter, taking up more room in our lives. Mm. So, yeah. So one of the things I'm curious about and is that how, how you can, um, especially when it comes to the, I guess, the shopping and, and helping people with the, the clothes selection, is how you can separate your personal tastes from the client's tastes. I, I just kind of can imagine that if I was in your job, which I would be not very good at, um, that I would have everyone dressed like me. Um, so <laughs> how do you kind of separate yeah, what, what you like from what would work for your clients? I guess what it is is I, I, like, I love clothes and I really appreciate everybody's style. So for me, I know that particular styles I don't feel comfortable in and there's particular shapes and cuts that I can't wear because, one, they don't make me look the best that I can look but I know that they work so well on other people. So for me, when I work with someone who is not my style personality or my shape or my colours, I actually get really excited because it means I get to use and play with clothes and accessories that I wouldn't naturally or normally get to play with for myself. So for me, I, I love that. Don't get me wrong, I also love shopping for people who are similar style or shape or colour or personality to me because obviously you know, I get to do my own shopping then as well. Mm-hmm. I try not to always buy um, the same things as my clients, but sometimes, and I usually do ask for permission, like I don't do it there and then, but say, look, if I see you in a couple of months and I'm wearing the same thing, will you be offended? <laughs> or you don't think you're kind of some kind of creepy stalker or something like that? Exactly. But it is very much that, you know, if I get to um, do something different, and I guess that's that creative part of my job, where I get to play with things that I don't usually get to do for myself. So I find it really exciting and I also find it a challenge as well. So it's great fun. So what do you think makes you good at this job? Oh, 
Right. Well, now I'm just going to sound really up myself, aren't I? No, okay. Um, well, maybe I can, I can frame it a different <laughs> way. What do you think makes a good, a good image consultant? I guess it's someone who has empathy, someone who really enjoys working with people and someone who sees the beauty in everybody, and I really think I do. I have never worked with a client who I haven't thought has, you know, has something beautiful about them. And for me, I get excited when I work with someone who perhaps haven't has not been feeling that great about themselves and to come away with them looking in the mirror and actually I can see that spark, that confidence and that little smile that they've gone, yeah, you know what, this actually really works and I really feel good about myself. And um, and what kind of stories have you heard from your clients about the impact that um, that your services have had on, on their lives or, or particularly their work and career? I guess for work and career, um, people come and see me when usually they're going through some sort of transition phase. And so whether that be a new job or a new role, promotion or returning to work or starting a new business, And it is very much about that confidence, that they feel confident. They feel appropriate at all times, which I don't know about you, but I can remember quite a few occasions in my career and also during my life where I've turned up somewhere and felt completely (laughs) inappropriate. Mm. And I guess, well, maybe that's one of (laughs) them I have, (laughs) but, but it's, it's, being appropriate in the sense that you don't have to worry about how you look yeah. because there are actually more important things to worry about. And I guess that's the feedback I get. There are more important things to worry about. So if I'm not here fiddling with my skirt or my pants because, or I'm feeling uncomfortable because it doesn't fit properly or I'm not sure that I'm wearing the right thing, that just takes one less thing to worry about so you can concentrate on the things that are really important yeah that's um that's kind of interesting because I think in in women's leadership we talk a lot about the imposter syndrome and and sometimes I guess having to you know fake it till you make it um yeah that that feeling that you're kind of underqualified and you know inexperienced and don't really belong and I can see that um that by fitting in I guess in terms of your appearance or the way that you conduct yourself physically can um I guess alleviate some of the anxiety around um feeling like a fake or a fraud in certain you know certain work situations and I guess for me that was one of the things especially um when I was working in a corporate environment and you know we'd be going into meetings with really senior people and here I am in my early 20s feeling completely out of my depth but as soon as I put that suit on it almost gave me that confidence you kind of like permission to be there permission to be and how and often sometimes having conversations that were a little bit tricky um it does give you arm is the wrong word it is about that confidence Mm -hmm. and you're right that permission so you mentioned oh sorry for cutting off you you mentioned that um uh working in a corporate environment so you you studied accounting at university yep Um, So can you, I guess, talk me through the transition, I guess, from from leaving school, deciding to do accounting as a a tertiary qualification, and then how did you end up in um, being an image consultant? So um, I've always enjoyed maths, Mm -hmm. loved it. Don't worry, I'm a maths nerd too. That's that's totally fine. (laughs) And I still love a spreadsheet, absolutely love a spreadsheet. I was just recently setting up some accounts for another business and I was like, oh, I feel so at home here. Um, so I always enjoyed that. So I always had in my mind that I either wanted to go down a creative path or I wanted to go down sort of a business path. So I did Echo Commerce um, as my degree and I guess it was one of those things where, you know, you leave school and you think, okay, well, I need to do something. So I applied to do that. So I went through university um, and then I started out my career at KPMG um, as a graduate and really enjoyed that and went through the process and 
qualified, did my PY. It was PY back then. What's PY? Um, professional year, so oh, okay. so that you qualified to become chartered accountant. Got you. So I did that, and then the opportunity came up to well, we made the opportunity come up to move over to the UK. So a lot of accountants, when they qualify, will actually take the opportunity and um, go to London or the UK or somewhere overseas mm-hmm. to to work. So I went over to the UK. I'd been qualified a year. Um, after that and went into banking for a little while mm-hmm. and found that it wasn't really my cup of tea. Um, and after that I went to a big housing charity called Peabody Trust, which is based in London, and they have about 20,000 social housing properties in London. So I worked um, as an internal auditor and then as an assistant financial controller for them for a number of years. But I guess for me... I would say, and I call it my early midlife crisis. I don't know whether that's appropriate or not, but that's what I call it. And I guess for me, even though I could do the job that I was doing, I probably wasn't passionate about it. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was that feeling on a Sunday evening before going to, you know, heading into Monday, feeling a little bit sick. Yeah. Sunday night blues. Yeah. And even though I know I could do it, I actually found it hard in the sense, and it's quite interesting um, having, you know, you do your personality profiling and you do DISC and other personality profiles. Mm -hmm. I actually now understand why I found that difficult because I'm probably not the attention to detail type of person. And to be an accountant, you do need, you need that. Absolutely. Whereas I am much more um, a people person, a social person, that type of thing. So at least I guess I realised that and I went through a process of trying to find what else I could do that really appealed to me, that gave me enough to give up that career. And so I dabbled in a few things. I started an interior design course and I did a few other things. But I actually um, went along to an image consultant in London and I was actually taken along by a girlfriend. I hadn't actually really heard about it or knew anything about it. And so I went along and that first session, it just blew me away. So I, you went along as a, as a client? I went along as a client with right. a girlfriend mm-hmm. and it totally blew me away. Um, absolutely loved it. And what happened was I kept going along with my friends and taking my friends to Morag. And I'd sit in in the sessions because I absolutely loved the process. I, I loved the transformation for people. And I remember I, I must have taken 30 or 40 people along to her. And any time anyone visited from Australia, I would take them as well wow. to see her. And she turned around to me one day and she said, why don't you do this? And I, I, it was that, that light bulb moment. I thought, why don't I do this exactly? So it all sort of started from there. So I trained over in the UK. So train. So there's what kind of training do you need to go to, to go through to become an image consultant? So you, so you go through um, a training program, and then you have a mentor for a year as well. So you have to learn how to do the color analysis, the body architecture, and things like that. You learn as well, but it's a little bit. Um, well, I found that easier because it was more of a process. Whereas the color analysis, you really have to have an eye for it. And it can be a little bit trickier. Um, and then you work under a mentor as well for a year. Um, so you, you're constantly touching base with them and, you know, making sure you're on track with things and understanding the concepts and the ideas. And then it's really practising with people for quite some time to make sure that you've got that confidence when you go through the consultation process and, you know, learning that create creativity. And, and for me, I mean, yes, creativity for some people is natural but I guess being in that corporate environment for some time I sort of had to find it again and relearn it Mm -hmm. so I did that um, started my training literally six months before my first son was born so I sort of timed it knowing that I would be going um, on maternity leave from a contract Mm -hmm. um, and timed it from there so yeah, that's how it all started. And, and then so once you were, were qualified, did you go yes. out on your own or did you work for someone or with someone? No, started my own business. And so 
Do you remember getting your first client? I do. I I do remember getting my first client, but I did a lot of, I guess, free clients to start with. Friends and family, that kind of thing? Friends and family, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I really didn't go for my first paid one until after my son was born, and I do remember that. Um, and it was completely nerve-wracking. <laughs> Completely nerve-wracking. Why just friends you, and family was very nerve-wracking as well. And because you had these, these kind of expectations of, of someone to deliver a, a certain kind of value for them. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. And, I mean, I, I actually still get nervous before I see a client. Really? Yeah. Wow. I um, so you mentioned that you, amongst, I guess, this career transition yourself, you, you had your, your son. So how did you, I guess, how did you manage this, um, I guess, building a new business with caring for a, a young child? So I was, I gave myself plenty of time. Um, I'd set it up in a way that I knew I could have quite a bit of time off. And so we were actually still living over in London at that stage. Mm-hmm. And... Um, after we had our first son, we made the decision, okay, we're either going to stay here in London and if we stay now, we're probably going to stay for some time or we're going to move back to Australia. So we made the decision that we were going to move back. Mm-hmm. And so what that did for me was it didn't put as much pressure on me to build that business in the UK. It made me look forward and see how much I could do and how much I could prep before we came back to Australia and setting up the business um, here in Australia. So um, it wasn't long after I had my first son that I actually fell pregnant with my second son. So that sort of, um, I wouldn't say stalled things, but it just gave me, I guess, a bit more time Mm -hmm. to think about how that would all be set up. Um, And we had a couple of delays along the way because we were due to move back to Australia um, when I was six months pregnant and my second son Max was born two days before we were flying out so we'd sold our house um you know shipped all our belongings back here and he arrived three months early so that sort of (laughs) caused a little bit of a delay yes back so we stayed for another nine months in the UK as well right but I guess um during that time gave me a lot of time to sort of think about how I wanted to set things up and how I wanted the business to work um, for me and around my family. And it gave me time, I yeah. think. Yeah. So once you returned to Australia, that's when you really focused on on building the business and the, the Style yeah. Liberation brand. That's correct. So do you think of – I was reading something the other day which was talking about work as being either – being characterised as either a job, which someone does for money, a career, which they might do for for money as well as kind of, um, I guess, intellectual stimulation or prestige or a calling. Do you think this is your calling? If a calling is something that you absolutely love to do, that you're completely passionate about, that you can't stop thinking about, then yes, I would say that it is. Um, I I absolutely love what I do and I don't find that at 5 o'clock in the evening I switch off the computer and I stop thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I for me my work sort of intertwines with everything that I do in my life. Yeah. So, yeah, and I want to say, you know, it's about finding that balance. But if you love what you do, it it just becomes part of who you are and everything that you do anyway. I don't know if that sort of makes sense. But, yeah, for me it's not just a career and it's not just a job. And it, I guess for me as well as I sort of think when people talk about retiring, I never see that happening. Great. So um, do you have a plan for where you want to take the business? I, I, um, I watched your interview that you did um, for Her Canberra and I noticed that you were talking about, you know, your love of planning and how um, Max's arrival kind of deviated from the plan and how that was kind of a good lesson for you in, in, I guess, maintaining some flexibility in your plan. So do you have a plan for where you want to take Style Liberation? 
I do. But again, I'm much more flexible about that. Mm-hmm. And one of the other reasons I'm much more flexible around it is, okay, so firstly, it is around Max as well mm-hmm. um, and sort of the care that he requires. Do you want to talk a little bit about, about Max? Um, yeah. And, yeah, I guess Max's, I guess, um, the impact that Max has on, on your life and how he's influenced your work a little bit? Yeah, definitely. So um, for those who, for most people don't know um so max my second son he was born three months early and unfortunately on his third day of life he um, suffered a pulmonary hemorrhage which led to a very very significant brain hemorrhage so he is such a strong little guy um he pulled through made it through but that brain hemorrhage um then led to him developing cerebral palsy. So for people who don't know much about cerebral palsy, it's a movement disorder. So basically um, because of the brain damage that he had uh, just shortly after birth, it has affected his ability to move his muscles. It's affected his ability to, say, walk, talk, um, eat, sit, all of those type of things. So Max um, has quite a significant disability um he is making gains all the time i guess i'm the sort of person who likes to talk about what he can do mm-hmm. rather than what he cannot do um but he does require um a great deal of self-care so he is five and a half nearly six now so it has mean meant a lot of changes for us as a family and i mean any child does um but it's also made us think differently about the future and also how we work as well. Mm-hmm. So it has um, impacted, I guess, on how I work in relation to if he didn't have his disability. Um, whether that's better or not, I actually really don't know. Um, but it has made me build, I guess, a business that is very flexible to ensure that, you know, I can meet all of his needs as well. Great. And um, we were talking before we started recording about a piece that you've written um, about how your experience with Max and I guess that transition from from focusing on, I guess, the limitations that Max has to focusing on the things that he can do has shaped your your view and your positivity towards body image and, and trying to... I guess, look for the positives in, in people's appearance rather than, you know, the obsessive focus on um, lumpy bits and grey bits and jiggly bits and things like that. And I guess when I was saying before about I really do see the beauty in everyone mm-hmm. um, and, you know, the fact that I see how hard Max works to undertake the most, what we take for granted is the most simple tasks like to feed himself, for example, like yeah. that's one of our big goals at the moment that he can actually grasp, grasp something and put it to his mouth and feed himself. So for me, I look at the body, and I've, I've said it before, as a package. So, yes, it's really, really great that we spend time having fun and playing with this package in the sense of getting dressed up and presenting ourselves in a particular way. But what it's made me realise is, you know, how much I'm grateful for what our bodies can actually do Mm -hmm. in the sense of all the physical things that our bodies can do but also all the things that we can think up and create and the the things that we can do for other people. So that's why I always say, you know, it, it isn't about people actually don't care about the size of your nose when it comes to personal presentation. People are more interested in you expressing who you are and presenting the best version of yourself. So that's where it sort of comes from for me. Mm-hmm. It's about, you know, let's celebrate really what our bodies can do because I've seen people who have no physical limitation at all and yet don't achieve half as much as what Max achieves. Yeah, absolutely. Because he's really willing to put the effort in and he's motivated. So for him, for me as well is I look at him and he has been a huge motivator for me and my business in the sense of if I'm expecting him 
to work hard and do all of these things and do things and achieve things that, you know, medical professionals or other people don't expect him to do and he's got that ability to do that, then I need to channel some of that as well. I have to raise my expectations of myself. So, yeah. That's that's great. So what are the things that you've found most difficult or, or the biggest hurdles that you felt you've had to overcome since starting the business? For me, it's actually getting over myself and just understanding that I'm not going to be everyone's cup of tea. I, I guess I spent a lot of time worrying about what other people thought. Mm-hmm. And for me, I know this might sound strange, but for me it was about the fact that I had a really great career. Um, as an accountant. As an accountant. Mm. I earned good money, yep. had a great career, I was good at what I did. And so I guess I was worried about people thinking, hold on, what is she doing? Why is she doing that? Mm. Or feeling like, you know, I was throwing things away um, and owning the fact that I wanted to do something different, um, something that was, you know, a little bit more creative. So it was getting over that and getting over the fact that, you know, if you want to build a business, you are going to have to promote that business. You are going to have to talk about that business and you are going to have to talk about yourself in a positive way. And for me, I found that really, really tricky. Um, And I still find it very tricky. Um, But I received a really good piece of advice from somebody and that was, you know what your motivation is for building this business. It doesn't matter if other people don't. If you know what this mo- what your motivation is and then that helps you do the things that are a little bit more tricky for you to do. So having that kind of really strong idea of your your values or I guess the sense of purpose that you have and, and just uh, I guess referring back to that in, in times of um, discomfort or um, overwhelm. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so what's the... So you've spoken a little bit about um, having to to build the business as well as, I guess, build your expertise as an image consultant. What are the kind of um, mentors or support networks um, that you've you've used to, to help you do that? So my biggest support network is my family, mm-hmm. so my husband and um, my parents and in-laws. So what was their reaction when you first told them, I think I'm going to change career? Um. Well, it was really funny because I, you know, you have a certain expectation that, you know, your parents think you should do something. Um, And it was funny when I told my mum, she goes, yeah, I always thought you should have done something like that. And I was like, what? Why didn't you tell me? (laughs) But, But then to be fair, I wouldn't be where I am if I didn't go through that process. Mm-hmm. You know, having I think having that background in a corporate environment has really helped me with where I've positioned myself and my business. So, you know, so it, that was actually really wonderful to have, you know, that support. And so my parents and um, my in-laws have been amazing, absolutely amazing, and, and so much support. And my friends as well. Um, and, you know, they're always sort of, encouraging me, um, helping me out when I need it, creating that support network so that, you know, I can go and do amazing things and take up really great opportunities that, you know, if I wasn't surrounded by that network that I possibly would find more difficult to do. So they've been my number one. Number two is actually I have to say the Canberra community and particular Canberra Business women have been amazing um, support. So one of the things I learned pretty early on in building Style Liberation was around networking and getting out there and networking with people. And in particular, Canberra Women in Business, which was the Chamber of Women in Business previously, I've made some of my best connect- connections through that networking group. Um, and it may not even be that they, it was the people in that group that I've necessarily collaborated with, but it has been people that I've been introduced to through people in that networking group. Um, in particular, 
Claire Connolly from Paper Cut and Amanda Whitley from Her Canberra. Mm-hmm. I mean, the opportunities that I've been able to um, have through meeting these amazing women, um, yeah, it's been great, absolutely fantastic. So networking is a big thing and creating that support network of business women around you has been fabulous. Excellent. I've probably forgotten to mention someone. I feel really bad now. You need that kind of Oscar winner's speech of all of these people. <laughs> so, do do you have anyone that you consider it like a mentor in your in your life? A business mentor? Um, I have or a coach. Form, I have a formal business mentoring relationship. Okay. Um, and I started that only last year. So this time last year, and I would say to anyone sort of starting out a business. Definitely, um, whether it's a formal arrangement or an informal arrangement, having a business mentor keeps you on track. So, how did you? Um, I guess what prompted you to initiate this, and and how did you go about doing that? I'd been thinking about it for a while, but I felt like I was sort of I'm I'm one of those people that are guilty of shiny object syndrome. Mm-hmm. So. Me too. <laughs> And I mean, I still am. I still am, but I'm I'm better at focusing now. And I guess it's that whole thing. Oh, I've got an idea. Let's go down that path and getting distracted, rather than sticking on where the path that or the core business that I, I want to deliver. So I think I got sick of myself and decided that I need needed someone to be and be accountable to. And I chose someone that I didn't know, um, for the fact that for me. If I know someone, I feel like, oh, okay, I could possibly get away with not doing this or being accountable. Whereas if it's a more formal arrangement, I feel much, I feel more compelled to do what I need to do. So this was a mentor that you, um, the relationship was formed through a a business association or some kind of other group? Yes, it was. And so for me, it's a great accountability tool. But the surprise about it has actually been that whenever a new shiny object has appeared, it's been a great way of bouncing ideas off someone who has been through those experiences before, has been in business much, much longer than I have, um, and to give me some clarity around, you know, issues that may arise or have I thought of this um, or how do I go about. So recently I've taken um, on a consultant in Brisbane. Mm Mm-hmm. So she'll be working under the Style Liberation banner up there. And it was just, you know, some things around, you know, taking on someone else as part of your business. You know, what should I be thinking about? What are some of the real benefits of doing that? What are some of the things that, you know, are going to be a little bit tricky um, and having that conversation with them. So I've I found it I've been much more focused in my business and what I want to achieve. It doesn't mean that things have stayed exactly on track as where I thought they would be 12 months ago but I feel much clearer about where the business is going. That's great just having someone to kind of share that um, share your I guess internal dialogue with um, is often is often useful. Very very useful and also someone who's impartial they're not don't have necessarily a vested interest. True. Yeah, it's not like talking to your spouse about this and and thinking about the financial or the time implications. Yeah, Yeah, or friends and family um, where they may not necessarily be as black and white about things because, you know, they have an emotional connection to you as well. So, So I find that works really well for me. So if I was to, I guess, flip roles and um, if you were kind of in the mentoring or advice-giving position, someone wanted to, um, I guess, pursue a career as a stylist or, or perhaps even just start their own business, other than get yourself a mentor, what other advice would you want to give? What I would say is don't necessarily give up your day job. Um, you Building clients and, and building a client base and things like that does actually take time. So either have yourself set up that you have savings and things behind you or work full-time um, in another role or part-time and build up the business on the side. And, and the image consulting business, most of your clients will want to see you on a weekend, so it is possible to do that. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things I would say. 
because then you make good choices about the type of clients that you work with um, and you don't feel like, okay, I have to because I need to bring some money in. Yes. Um, so that sort of idea around, you know, building up the business that way would work really well. And for me that would that worked quite well. I knew that I was in a position where I could build it up and not have to go crazy straight away. And, and compromise you, yeah, your or values build- or what you were wanting to do. Exactly. So that would be one piece of advice. Um, this piece of advice was given to me and it's not just for being an image consultant but find your niche. I tried to be everything to everyone to begin with. And I think some of that was lack of confidence of what I could offer to a particular niche. But really, once you find your niche and who you enjoy working with, it it just starts to work and it all starts to come together. So finding your niche and charging what you're worth. That's probably um, a big hurdle for a lot of women in business, I imagine. Huge. And it was a huge one for me, huge, because, you know, you go and – um, work with people and, and you look at what you charge people and you're like, it's that confidence of am I worth that, really? what? But it is very much thinking about what value are you giving to people. So how have, how have you gone through that process of, of figuring out what to charge people? Um, has that just been based on feedback or, yeah? It has, it's been based on a couple of things. So obviously, you know, you look at what the market charges that's where I started. Um, but then I also looked at the feedback that I was getting and it was something that someone said to me about, okay, I had some really positive feedback from a client and it was very much about this isn't just a one-off. This is a, These are tools that I can use, you know, every day going forward um, that will make life easier in the sense that it will save me time and also save me money. So when I started thinking about it like that, um, it gave me more confidence sort of to charge what the actual value is to someone to go through that process. Um, and it was someone pointing out, you know, someone will go and spend a couple of hundred dollars on a beauty treatment, but that lasts until the next month and when they have the next one. So it was that sort of idea. I was so scared when I made a change in my pricing and package structure but I have to say since then I actually have had more clients right and do you think that's because you're making the value more obvious to people I think so and that was the feedback that I also um had from people that I I wasn't making the value obvious or I wasn't really talking about the value and again it was one of those things about getting over myself um, and I guess being a little bit more candid in my copy and how I spoke to people as well, rather than underselling, just, you know, telling it as it is. <laughs> so we um, might wrap up shortly, but I just wanted to ask you to cast your mind back to, I guess, the, the later years of high school and, you know, at that point in which you're deciding, um, you know, what am I going to do for work? Um, what do you think your, your 18-year-old self would think about what you're doing now? I think she would be so excited. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, but she'd also be saying, how did you get the guts to do that? <laughs> yeah, right. So you think at, at 18 um, starting your own business was something that you would have never considered as a, as a no. possibility? No, no, not at all. And I have to say even though um, – the whole transition into starting my own business happened before I had my first son. I would have to say I was one of those people that would start something but not necessarily always finish something. Mm-hmm. And I think it was with the arrival of Max that made me go, what do I have to lose? Because I almost lost something extremely important, One, well, the most important thing. So for me, what have I got to lose? Because nothing is going to feel as bad as that. If I lose, so fantastic. Um, I think thing to remember and to, um, yeah, a great reminder that a a lot of hang-ups that we have about work, when actually considered in the context of our broader lives, aren't really that that significant at all. 
No, and that and that's the thing that anything that comes up that I feel like, oh my goodness, I really want to do it, but whew, I'm really scared about doing it. It's like, what's the worst? What is the worst that's going to happen? Because, yeah, it's nothing <laughs> really compared to some other things that other people are going through as well. Um, well, thank you so much for talking to me today and um, I guess giving some insight into what an image consultant does and a little bit about your personal journey and um, look forward to um, following your journey. Where can people go to find out more about you and what you do? Um, well, you can find me at styleliberation.com.au. Um, I'm also on Facebook and Instagram, you know, getting up there with my social media. At your Style Liberation on both of those? Style Liberation on both of those, you can find me. Great. And what's what's coming up next for Style Liberation? What should we be looking out for? So we have just launched an ebook, um, Six Steps to Creating Your Ultimate Wardrobe. So you can sign up for that. Um, and I've done that in collaboration with Virginia Wells, who is a professional organiser. So that's been lots of fun. Um, so if you're interested in having a sneaky peek at my wardrobe, all the photos in there of, are of my wardrobe, right. which I tidied up uh, before we took the shots. So that's the latest. Um, and, yeah, there's more stuff coming up. I'm going to try and get into some videos. So, again, I've got to get over myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, we look. I look forward to, um, to seeing those videos and um, seeing how the, the Style Liberation brand continues to grow. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to episode one. In the next episode, I chat to Viv Mitchell about her relatively recent career change into the world of startup fashion entrepreneurship. Before I wrap up, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to my husband, Jason Conroy, for all his technical website assistance and to Florentina Pergoletto, who composed the original Women Talk Work theme music. Thanks also to many of my friends and family members, as well as YWCA Canberra, who have been so supportive of me in getting this podcast up and running. If you'd like to hear more Women Talk Work, you can subscribe via iTunes or stream episodes via the website, womentalkwork.com.